And I want you to turn with me to the book of Titus in the New Testament. Okay? Book of Titus. Nick, I uh, just leave that up there. Don't worry about the outline. Okay? I just think I'm going to do something. I was going to close um, my message today with a story. But I think I'll just read the scriptures and think I'll just tell the story and we'll see what God does. Okay? Over the last few weeks, in fact, next week we'll probably come back to this text and maybe dig into it a little bit more. The last couple of weeks, I've tried to talk to you a little bit about grace. Grace that saves us and grace that changes us. And if grace doesn't change you, then grace has not saved you. Amen? And I've tried to explain to you the last few weeks that God had no obligation to show himself to us. There, there was no reason. There was nothing in man. Uh, that w- Would you turn me up just a little bit? Uh, there was nothing in man. There, thank you. That's what I want to I rattle the ear drums. There's nothing in man that would cause God to even remotely consider showing himself to man except for one reason, and that's grace. I was going to tell you in my message today, and you'll hear it next week if you're not traveling, that man at his very best, I want you to think about this. In fact, I was going to say in in my outline, chew on this. So chew on this. Man at his very best doesn't impact God's affection for you or God's love for you in one iota. Get your head around that. Man at his very best doesn't impact God's love, God's grace to you. One iota. Now certainly, you at your best is good for you, isn't it? Huh? It makes you a better man or woman. It makes you a better parent. Makes you a better person. Makes you a better citizen. So there's value in being good. But what I want you to understand, that you at your very best has no impact upon God's love to you in the least. God chose, not because of emotion. God chose not because of some feeling. God chose to love you because He chose to love you. That's grace. And if you could ever let grace capture your head, if you can ever let grace capture your heart, it radically changes your life. It changes how you live your life. It changes how you respond to issues in life. It changes how you touch people and and how you react to people. And if it hasn't, then you know nothing of grace. You're caught up in law. You're caught up in works. And you're losing the joy of grace. In fact, the Bible says man at his best is still what? Filthy rags. Why would we think at our best we're having any impact on God? So God just does what He does because God chooses to do it to those who He's chosen to do it. That is called grace. 
Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses. And then I'm going to, I guess I will end my message with a story. That's what I had planned to do anyway, because that's all I want to do today. Notice verse 11 of chapter 2, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Now, obviously, not everyone is going to be saved. He's talking about classification. He's talking about distinction. He's talking about Jew-Gentile, rich-poor. That's what he's talking about. Has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us. That word instructing, you'll hear next week, is a word for child teaching. When God uh, blesses you with a child, you have the responsibility to train that child up in the ways of God. You, you instruct the child, you discipline the child. And this term has all of that included into it. So, so what, what grace does, as, as we instruct and discipline our children, that's what grace does to us. And if grace is not doing that, you know nothing of grace. Instructing us to what? Deny ungodliness and worldly desires. That's the negative aspect. That's what we say, don't do this, child. To live sensibly, righteously, godly in this present age. This is when we tell our children, do this. So every instruction, child disciplining, has a negative and a positive. And why would we think that God would not be any different as the great parent, huh? So there are some things he tells us not to do, and then there are some things he tells us to do, and that's because of grace. And if you're not denying some things, and if you're not doing some things, you know nothing of grace. And then notice he says, in this present age, that means now. That means today, okay? Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. The good deeds we do is not to impact God's love to us. It's because of we respond to what he has done for us. My outline today was going to be this. Grace, first of all, captures your heart. And if your heart is not captured, then you know nothing of grace. Grace is staggering. To think that you've been giving something from God without any merit of your own and no reason other than he chose to do it captures your heart. And if it hasn't captured your heart, you know nothing of grace. You know a lot about law, but you know nothing of grace. I was going to tell you today, and I probably will next, not only does grace capture the heart, but grace cleanses the heart. It corrects the heart. It tells you there are some things you say no to, and there are some things you say yes to. And then I was going to tell you, and I will next week, that grace celebrates the heart. Only those who belong to Christ are those that can look forward to something better coming around the corner. And that's that second time the word appearing is used. That's that day when only God knows when, There'll be the return of the Lord as he comes to, to as, a, as a groom capturing the bride, as he comes to, to grab hold of the church, you see. And so there's this first appearing, which is the appearing of grace, and there's the second appearing, which is the appearing of glory. Sandwiched in between these two appearings is where we find ourselves. We should find ourselves captured by grace, 
cleansed by grace and celebrating grace. And if we're not doing that, we know nothing of grace. And either we're lost or we're so caught up in law and bitterness that we'll never understand the full measure and the joy of grace. Can I tell you a story? Let me get a chair. Ah, never mind. I'll stand. I see it over. It's too far to walk. Oh, there's one right there. (laughs) I'm tired. I'm tired. All God's children tired. Let me tell you a story. In God's providence, he sent us to DeWitt. After a few months in DeWitt, I, I came across a guy who became a very good friend of mine. He wasn't a member of our church initially. But he's a guy who he and I just really connected well. He was a guy who just loved Jesus, radically loved Jesus, vocally loved Jesus. But when you're from a small town, everybody knows everything about you. Amen? I mean, they know what color underwear you wear in the morning, don't they? This guy, when he was growing up, was a party animal. He uh, was a rounder. He was a drinker. He was a drugger. And you named it, he did it. And that was his reputation in town. And then he married a wonderful lady. And everybody, and he was the joke of the town. He was the town drunk. He married a wonderful lady. And everybody said he married because of her money. She was from a well-known family in town. But God was pleased in his sovereignty to save the town drunk. My friend went from radically bad to radically good. But you know what was interesting? And then he ultimately joined our church. But you know what was amazing? Before he was saved, he was the butt of the town's jokes. You know what happened after he was saved? He was the butt of the town's jokes. Before he was saved, they laughed at his messed up life. The lost people laughed at him because he was the worst of the worst. After he was saved, they laughed at him. But they didn't understand. They were confused. But the sad thing is this. That after he was saved, the ones who criticized the worst, the ones who joked the most, were the Christians. In fact, I was most of their pastor. I was a pastor to most of them. I heard every bit of it. Every time I'd walk down the street, invariably, oh, you're, they'd call it, you're that guy's pastor. He's strange. But he loved God. He didn't get hung up on the things that those folks that were criticizing him got hung up on. He was captured by grace. He was cleansed by grace. 
And he decided that until he died, he was going to celebrate grace. He understood what grace was as best he could, as best any of us can. I've been here, gang, 16 and a half, going on 17. I know you probably feel like it's been 50. But let me tell you what happened a few months ago. I got a phone call from a young couple from DeWitt. Young couple, like every young couple, they have their challenges, have their moments. The young man actually grew up with my son. The young girl was, grew up with my son, was in our church. When they started having their battles, she said to him, we need help. And the young man said, the only person I'll go to is Jeff's dad. Now, not because of me, it's because of my son. I hope you understand that. It wasn't because I was anything. It was because my boy was something. He grew up with my boy. He watched my boy. And he realized that what my son had, he didn't. So he said, I'll, I'll go only to one person, and that's Jeff's dad. So they came up from DeWitt. And uh, they sat down. We started talking. And, of course, very early on in our talk, I began to realize something. This guy, and I thought that, but this guy doesn't have a clue who Jesus is. He was uh, from a family that was big farmers, still are in DeWitt. And I knew growing up, I watched him play ball, and I knew that he and Jeff were friends, and I began to realize that in the course of our discussion early that he was lost. And so I took God's special revelation. We talked about that last week, didn't we? And I just began to read him the scriptures, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Ten Commandments. And, and in the course of that, he, he began to cry. And he said, I'm lost. And God did what God always does when someone understands they're lost and repents. And he was saved. Well, this past week, they came back to see me came back to see me. And uh, I asked him, how you doing? He said, you know, he said, it's weird. There's a void in my life. I'm having trouble filling. He said, Tom, he said, I, I drank every day. He said, I lived to drink. And he said, I actually, on the farm at 3 o'clock, I'd have a bunch of beer with me at 3 o'clock after I was finishing up the plow. And he said, I started drinking. I drank all night long. He said, at weekends, I drank all weekend. He said, I don't have that anymore and I don't even want that anymore he said I'm not sure what's happening I said well tell me what's going on he said man he said this salvation thing's cool he said I'm going to church every Sunday he said I got baptized you know he said I've read the Bible he said I'm almost he said by the end of the year I'm he said I started in Genesis 1 I'm at the end of Acts and I asked him I said well where are you going to church and he told me and I said well do you know and I called that guy. He said, do I know? He said, I sit right behind him. He said, I'm trying to keep up with his energy for God. And let me tell you what he told me. He said, all the years of growing up, I didn't like him. I never knew him. I didn't like him because nobody in my family and nobody in town liked him. Every time his name came up, he was the butt of the jokes. And then after he was saved, he was the butt of the jokes. And he said, what really bothered me, though, was that the ones who talked the worst and said the worst 
and acted the worst were the people that every Sunday went to your church. Hello. But he said, you know, I was saved. And I go to church with him. And you know what he told me? He said, I understand now. I understand why he shouted about Jesus. I understand why he raised his hands when certain songs were being played. I understand why he would go to the prison on Saturdays. And he, guy, he knew every Saturday, this guy and I, would, every fourth Saturday we would go to prison and I'd preach and he would sing. I understand now why he cried so easy. I understand what grace has done. And yet most of the people, no, that's not true, a good number of the people in the church I pastored didn't have a clue. All they wanted to do was talk and criticize. See, the young man who is 35 years of age, my son's age, was captured by grace. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all kinds of people. Grace has cleansed his heart, teaching them to deny ungodliness and to live righteously in this present age. Grace celebrates his heart, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, who redeemed us from every lawless deed and purified unto himself a people zealous, his own possession, zealous of good deeds. If you don't understand that, and if you're so caught up in criticizing and bitterness, you don't have a clue what grace is. And you're worse off than that friend of mine who spent most of his life drinking and drugging. Or this young friend of mine, some friend of my boys who spent most of his life drunk. Grace changes. And Christmas is about grace. Father, I pray that we might understand that we don't have time to be bitter. That we don't have time to be this way if we've been captured if we are being cleansed and if we're celebrating grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Go to Sunday school. Have a good time.